Welcome to Culture Cryptids, the horror podcast where we dissect culture one undead teenage romance at a time. As a note before we get started, this episode does touch on themes of sexual abuse and trauma, which, given the films, makes sense. We're not going to go into great detail about this, but we do want you to know to be warned if that's something that you don't want to watch or talk about or listen to, this might not be the episode for you. Hello, hello, and welcome to Culture Cryptids. We hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving, because at the time of recording this, I almost died in the parking lot of a Kroger, because it is the day before Thanksgiving. The night. The night. Before Thanksgiving. If right. you'd gone during the day, it probably would not have been as treacherous as going tonight. I, again, almost died in the parking lot of a Kroger, <laughs> which is probably the worst place to die. Yeah. That would be sad to put on your tombstone. Oh, yeah. Just death by Kroger. Death by idiots that don't know when to pull out of a parking lot, really. That, I feel like that's all drivers it's in this true. area. But I, I do feel like <laughs> Kroger parking lots are particularly treacherous. Yeah. yeah. Out of all of the... Out of all the um, grocery stores grocery stores yeah yeah. i don't know why i couldn't find the word grocery store out of all grocery stores i feel like kroger is the worst and people just don't pay attention yeah yeah. i would agree with that almost died so instead i um ate a little debbie christmas tree cake to take the edge off took the edge off the only thing better would have been a glass of wine with it but that'll come later it's fine it worked to do tonight and I think we've both had an energy drink, so let's <laughs> see how this plays out tonight. We're ready to go. I had this like weird, I like these Alani New. Mm-hmm. They're not a sponsor, but they should uh, be. Maybe, should they be one? Because I don't know the face you made when you opened that. I love these because they're marketed as lady energy drinks because they have biotin and B12 in them. <sighs> And B6. I actually looked at those the other day. Okay. They're very good. They're vegan. But this one was from Halloween. It was a witch's brew one. And it has caramel apples on it. So I kind of knew what I was getting into. But it wasn't that it was bad. But you know when you taste something and you're not expecting, you don't have an, any inkling of what the taste mm-hmm. is going to be. So it's it's an assault on your senses. It was that type of situation. It was like somebody had liquefied one of those green apple, caramel apple suckers. And I'm really selling it. <laughs> that that sounds like, I know this isn't a sponsored like ad, but it sounds like a sponsored ad. Yeah, so con. Uh, yeah, let's not do that. For those who may be joining us for the first time, I'm JD and one, two, I am talking to you. And I am JD's co-host Corey, who is um obviously not ready for primetime, bitch. Oh, That's my favorite quote. I know. You've made me listen to it only half a dozen times. (laughs) And if you couldn't have guessed from that, in this episode, we're talking about Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Both of them? I mean, I know there's a lot more. Yeah. There are a total, with the remake, a total of eight of these films. Eight films. But we will be talking about the original and the 2010 reboot. That's right. That's right. Because... Reboots have seen to be like kind of heavy on my mind lately and remakes because they kind of recently announced that they were toying with the idea of yet again rebooting this franchise. I cannot believe that I've not heard about this because you know this is my favorite franchise. Oh yeah. For those who don't know, JD loves Nightmare on Elm Street. It's his favorite thing. He is all about it. He talks about it quite a bit of time and um, I I haven't seen all of them. So I think it's going to be fun for me to talk about this with you. Yeah, because up until this point for this episode, mm-hmm. you had not seen the reboot at all, correct? No, I had seen the reboot. I oh, had okay. seen it when okay. it came out okay. ten like 10 years ago. Oh my so, God, 2010 was 10 years it was, ago. It was a decade ago. I, had, I saw it when it came out. <laughs> but um, my introduction to the Nightmare on Elm Street was actually a new nightmare. So imagine coming into it, watching a new nightmare and being like, I have no idea what's happening, but okay, this is fun. You would be so lost. You would <laughs> be was, so lost in that movie. And then I went back and watched a lot of the other ones. Yeah. But I still, I think there's a few in there that I have missed, like in between. So if, if you reference something I don't know, I'm just going to be like, yeah, sure. It sounds great. I have no idea. I mean, the important ones are the first one, obviously. Mm-hmm. The second one, because of just... Yeah, we know. How queer. <laughs> yeah. And yes. at some point we will talk about that. Mm-hmm. Dream Warriors is my favorite in the series, which we have talked about before. Mm-hmm. And then I think you're fine until New Nightmare, because I think New Nightmare is just very 
it's very meta before it's, meta was a thing. Well, Craven has always really liked to do meta. Yeah. And this was kind of his like touchstone to be like, I want to make a meta movie, which went on to become his next meta movie. Like Scream yeah. really took a couple of the concepts they had in there and just jumped with them. But overall, like I'm familiar with the franchise and I'm familiar with the 1984 film and the 2010 film, which of course has a lot of people kind of, there's a lot of talk about remakes and reboots and whether or not people like them or dislike them. And I think inherently you got to talk about them at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And and especially in the horror genre, Mm -hmm. I feel like that's one where remakes happen more often than maybe some other some other properties. Mm-hmm. And just to go ahead and throw it out here, we are not passing judgment on one being better than the other. This is all subjective well, talk. Well, wait, wait, wait. We're not saying that all remakes are bad and all originals are better than remakes. Correct. Because we're definitely going to be passing some judgment in this episode. Let's be honest. We are okay. what we are. But that isn't to say that anyone shouldn't enjoy what they enjoy. Right. So I think that for the sake of that, mm-hmm. we'll call this the was better. Sounds good. And you can fill that in however you yeah. want. Do you want to jump into it? Yeah, let's. Right, let's go. All right. So Nightmare on Elm Street, original, 1984. From our most trusted source, IMDb, the monstrous spirit of a slain child murderer seeks revenge by invading the dreams of teenagers whose parents were responsible for his untimely death. I feel like that gives away a whole lot in that little bit of a snippet, which is fine because this is a 1984 movie. But, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And also, we're going to be talking a lot about the plot. So if you've not watched th- these movies, then who are you, first of all? <laughs> and you should maybe take a break, go watch it, and then come back. Yeah, but yeah, the, I mean, the synopsis tells you everything that you need to know about the film, but it doesn't give you, doesn't give you enough details to know, like, why this isn't just a generic supernatural slasher. Right. Which at the time, people were expecting that going into it, I think. And what they got was something very, very different. Yeah. Okay. Also, need to preface. Mm-hmm. This is probably a good episode to start a drinking game. Okay. You should take a drink every time I say the word iconic or movie magic. Oh, no. Because both of those I tend to say a lot when discussing the original Nightmare on Elm Street. You well, can attest to that. Yeah, I know. I know. We've had conversations. I'm just like, you just, you really like iconic today, don't you? Yeah. Okay. But this movie is, this movie is an iconic film mm-hmm. and it does contain quite a bit of movie magic. All right. Moving on. <laughs> when this movie was made in 1984, Craven had just come off of like a couple movies that hadn't done very well. Right. From what I understand, like he had just done Swamp Thing, which Swamp Thing holds like a special place in my heart as a comics fan because it is like a, a Vertigo DC movie. But yeah, it didn't, it wasn't, it didn't, it didn't perform very didn't well. didn't perform very yeah. well at all. So I think he was ready to go back to like his horror roots and figure out kind of back from the drawing board of what had made him a success, which were namely like The Hills Have Eyes and Last House on the Left. Right. Yeah. So the production of this one is always really, really fascinating to read about. But I think one of the best places to kind of get more in-depth detail than what we could give you is really just to watch the episode of movies that made us. It's great. It was part of this year. They did a little like mini season that was all horror movies, mm-hmm. well, mostly horror movies. And the nightmare on Elm street episode, it's definitely worth a watch. It, it's really worth watching. Cause they'll talk a lot about the production of it and we can talk a little bit about it, but I um, think the, the key thing is this film was our make or break moment for new line yes. cinema. Yeah, New Line really took a risk here, and this was a a, a million dollar movie. Basically, they made it. The budget was one point one million, and um, they were like, "All right, here we go. Let's see if we can do this." And they tried a lot of different things. They really put themselves out there, and obviously, it paid off. At eight films later, it definitely was a risk that paid off. They, I think, they affectionately refer to New Line Cinema as the house that Freddie built. Yes, yeah. yes, it's a, it's a pretty great. Um, Pretty great moniker there. Yeah. Why does this movie work? Okay. <laughs> you have a great cast. First mm-hmm. of all, you have Heather Langenkamp as Nancy. Mm-hmm. You've got a very young Johnny Depp. It's his as, first role. Yeah. Yeah. As Glenn Lance. And I'll, I'm going to say it, an iconic look of him in like the crop top. The crop top and shorts. The crop top and shorts. I mean, queer awakening right there. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> and then of course you have Robert England as 
the fantastic Freddy Krueger. Yeah, and this was Robert England's first real big role. Right. Yeah, this was, so a lot of people, this was their first role, their first role in Hollywood, which is fun to go back and think about when you think about the careers that some of these people have gone on to have. And one of the really great things is that when originally conceived, Freddy Krueger was supposed to be kind of somewhat of your generic, like, silent killer type. And to think about how this movie would have been different without, like, the one-liners and the quips. They were originally going to get Kane Hodder to do it. And Kane Hodder, if you don't know, has played... Jason. Yeah, he played Jason in several films Mm -hmm. in there. So, like, if you think of that hulking mass of muscle as your Freddy, like, it would have been a... Completely different movie. Totally different. And it wasn't until later on when England says... when, When, sorry, when Craven said that England came in and he was like, that guy, he's weaselly, he's little, he... He's kind of like they took this in like a different direction than what they had originally intended. And when England walked in, they were like, this is the look that we want because it's someone that was de- like walked down the street and you would think oh, that guy's a little weird, but you wouldn't be overtly intimidated by him just on sight. And that works for the character of Freddie. Yeah, there needs to be that kind of skeeziness there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's exactly what it is, especially if you look at like a very young, like Robert England versus the way he looks as he's like become more distinguished gentleman that we all kind of know. Yeah, he played it really well. Like there, there's definitely that kind of rodent-esque-ness in his performance. Not him as a person, but in, in, his, in performance his performance as Freddie. As yeah. Freddy. It's definitely there. And I think that set that character apart immediately from what kind of slashers had come before him. And I love that he just kind of leaned into it Mm -hmm. going forward in the series that it's not that you root for Freddy, (laughs) but like he's, he's fun. People do root for Freddy. And I think that that right there tells you everything you need to know kind of about this film is that people walked out of this and were like Fred Krueger. Cause he wasn't Freddy in In the the original, in the original film. Nancy refers to him as Krueger more than anything else like that. He's not Freddy yet. He is a little darker than in his his later incarnations would be. And he's a lot more sinister, I think. At, at least until you get into like New Nightmare and some of the other stuff too. The one-liners and the quips are there, but they're tempered by this, again, weaselly kind of slimy darkness that kind of, he does a really good job, like oozes out of him. He, his physicality as mm-hmm. uh, the character is fantastic. Yeah just kind of like some of his movement movements kind of very like serpent-esque mm-hmm. and everything. It works like, again, going back to like Kane Hodder, like I can't imagine such a massive a man being yeah. this role at all. With the, the glove, because like with the Kane Hodder with the glove, I was like, all right, that's a look. But it, <laughs> it, I don't think that this franchise would have become a franchise with that. And also you, you can't discount the effects. Like I know that they were doing this on a shoestring, like literal shoestring budget, but some of these effects are still fantastic. It, I mean, okay, we're not going to talk about the door. We're not going to talk about the very ending in the door, but. Yeah, well, that was something that was kind of added last minute yeah, anyway. Yeah. The Yeah, but it's, I love it because it is <laughs> so ridiculous. It is. Yeah. But the rest of the stuff is like when you think of iconic slasher kills, a lot of times you come back to a lot of ones that are in this film. You've got the buckets of blood on the bed, the geyser of blood. You've got the the spinning room. You've even got the... To have the spinning room be your first kill <laughs> yeah. of this movie really sets the tone. Mm-hmm. And to watch the kind of the behind the scenes of them pulling that off, that is movie magic. <laughs> it really is. It really sets the bar for a lot of practical effects of what could have been done at the time and what can be, can be done now, which can sometimes be disappointing when you see the corners that often get cut with we'll just fix it in post Mm -hmm. as opposed to filmmakers who had to go out of their way in this era to do things. And I am also a big fan of practical effects, but I love a good, a good like computer, like computer effect as well. Like I want to point out, like I'm not saying that one is or the other is better, but in this case they really made it work. Yeah. There are some things that you see in this movie that you hadn't seen before and then kind of have been replicated going forward. Like what I think about is specifically when he's kind of pushing his face through the wall. Yes. I mean, you, you see that and mostly now it's a computer generated, but in this movie practical and you can tell, you can tell it. It's a moment that you've seen in a bunch of other films. You see it in like uh, a film that I really like that came out years later. It was the frighteners Mm -hmm. that did almost the same thing, 
to a great effect then too, but you could tell it was a little bit of an homage to that. And of course, how many homages have we seen of the glove in the bathtub? And you'd be remiss not to mention that scene. Yeah. Yeah. You have to talk about that scene because when everyone thinks of Nightmare on Elm Street, they think of Nancy in the bathtub with the glove. And I remember being a kid and the thing is you can see the bottom of a bathtub. It's not like this, yeah. it's this like mass, but I remember being like in a bubble, like getting into a bubble <laughs> bath and thinking like, oh my God, something could, something could grab me. <laughs> some gloved hand could come <laughs> out of here to murder me. Because I was exposed to this movie much too young. Yes. Much too young. Yeah, this was your horror awakening and perhaps crop tops were your sexual awakening at the same time. It, it, All at once. I, I am a problem of a person because of movies like this. And yet, like, you know, it's really, it is really a great moment in cinema that's been recreated in just about everything, including the remake, as we'll, we'll talk about later. There are some things that were also established in this movie that I don't think I'd seen that may have been around, but I remember them specifically because of this movie. And one of those is like the archetype of the drunk absent mother. (laughs) Well, the kind of absent parents in general where they're kind of disinterested or not paying attention to their teens, which was a trope in the eighties. But I think, yeah, by 84, like I think we were really kind of, hitting that ground running of the kind of absentee parents that were like, they're there, but not really there. We were all latchkey kids. Yeah. Yeah. You see a lot of that in this movie about these, what are these kids doing? Like, Oh, and even then, like you can kind of tell like when Glenn's parents are talking about Nancy and they're like, Oh, that girl, she's so troubled. And I'm like, I mean, two of her friends died in like two days. I feel like everybody would be troubled by that, but it's because her mom was, her mom was an alcoholic. And that's of course why she was quote unquote, a troubled kid. Right. Right. The amount of grief that Nancy has to go through Mm -hmm. with all of this tragedy around her, I feel bad. Like she goes to school the day after Tina's murdered. Yeah. Why? Why? Because you couldn't have had that other really delightful moment of dragging the body bag through the hallways unless you had done that. And hall monitor Freddy Krueger. Yes, hall monitor Freddy (laughs) Krueger. I forgot about that. Also, I do not know how I missed this up until when I rewatched it yet again for the podcast. The teacher is Lynn Shay. Yeah. How have I never noticed that You never noticed that? No. Well, like, I I noticed it this time when I watched it because I hadn't. I had watched the original a few years ago was the last time I had seen it. And I remember thinking like, I know her, what do I know her from? And of course, like doing that thing where we all have computers in our hands. So I'm just going to look it up now. But yeah, like she's, she's in that. And and even her talking about it, she'd be like, like even today, she's like, people ask me to sign things and they're pictures from that movie. And she's like, I I never knew I would be known for this. Like this is like a role that she's known for. Yeah. Cause the first thing I think about, of course, is insidious. So Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the other things I really love about this film is there's such a great misdirect that Tina is our leading lady. Yes. And then that gets completely obliterated. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because there's that moment where like we kind of seen it from like her. She's been dreaming. Mm-hmm. She's getting chased. And then it's like, no, just kidding. Uh, she's dead. Yeah, because when we, when we first when we first meet Nancy, it mm-hmm. seems like she's just going to be a side character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I had never thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right that that first act is like Tina's almost kind of Tina's act, and then we have that like slow thing to be like, well, her boyfriend is framed for the murder, and then he dies, and then, and that kind of brings me to a really great thing about this film is that there's only like there's a very low body count for a quote unquote slasher right in this and it's purposeful because there's a whole lot of don't fall asleep because that's the only time and it takes place over such like a short period of time like only a few days this all sort of happens it's only yeah it seems like it's longer but it is literally maybe a week (laughs) yeah so you have this idea that it's not really spread out so there's only these like there's three maybe four deaths that happen overall but it, it feels like there's a lot more. And that is because, again, you go to the dreamscape for so often, which is something this film kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say that introduced it, but it did, was able to do a lot more with it, blending of both reality and dream world. Like, are you in a dream? Or are you not? And played with that concept. There's so many of, how many times have you like, okay, 
maybe too much information about how many times have you gotten up in the morning and gotten ready for work and gotten like completely uh, gotten all ready, gotten all dressed and like left the house and then realized you were still in bed asleep. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's, it's seamless yeah. in this movie. And that's the kind of the trap that people fall into a lot whenever a, a dream is represented in a movie is that you immediately know mm-hmm. it's like soft focus. There's all of these other elements and you realize it's a dream, but that's what makes that's what makes Nightmare on Elm Street scary is because yeah. sometimes you don't know what's real and what's not. You don't know. And, and as somebody watching this film for the first time, you really wouldn't know because you don't know he can only get you in your dreams. Right. You don't know what the killer's hook is yet until they figure it out, which is nice. Like, I think that that's a really fun thing because if you look at the original posters of Nightmare on Elm Street, like, they're just Nancy like screaming mm-hmm. there. You don't see all you see is the glove. Like you don't see him. You don't see any of the kind of anything about him to know what you're looking at until you watch the film, which is really fun thing of not giving too much away. Yeah. yeah. Uh, That's a problem these days. It, it, seems kinda, like. it really is. But you know, you got to get the hook in. So people, people, audiences like that. Oh, I need to know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that that this film does it so well because you have this character that his entire design is just meant to be garish and really make you uncomfortable. Well, I mean, any, any man who wears a fedora makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> a fedora inside. Okay. <laughs> Fedoras are outside hats. If, if they are hats at all. <laughs> but yeah, he's wearing a fedora. And I think that Craven said that they paired the, the red and green together in the sweater because they were like, he read somewhere that they were the two most clashing colors. Mm-hmm. So he did that on purpose. That was the purposeful thing. And then of course the fact that it's all burn scars and that they're made to be a little off because the, the way that they were working with the budget and everything and the, the appliance itself that he had to, he had to put him in every day that yeah it really makes for a character that you could see his face and i think that was a big thing too is seeing the killer's face he wasn't behind a mask he wasn't really hidden from you he was visible and it Mm -hmm. was visceral in nature yeah he wasn't an unseen like like he couldn't just be anybody Mm -hmm. freddie had a personality coming into it freddie had a look and freddie had a sense of humor and then on the other side of that you have nancy who Mm -hmm in the pantheon of final girls. I mean, again, this is my favorite franchise, so I'm biased, but I mean, come on. She's the blueprint in a lot of ways for a lot of things. She, she certainly does have a lot of like, she's done a lot of aspects that were seen in a lot of final girls and takes it a little bit further in this film. And yeah, she's a blueprint for a lot of the ones that came after her. I think it's, she has a lot more agency than a lot of final girls do. Cause I think with a lot of your final girls, it's they, they come into their power because they're forced to do it. And in this case, like, I mean the whole like last part with Freddie is almost like very home alone esque in the way that she sets up these traps. I mean, okay. It's not home alone esque. It is home alone. alone. They're (laughs) almost the same traps. (laughs) If you look at them, they're like, wait, 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 wait. This is the, the this is dirty bandits. Like this is this is what we're doing. Like I love whenever she's reading the the survival the survival book. Like I mean, come on, that's awesome. It's it's a little slapstick in the way that Craven's not Craven's like earliest earliest works, which are grim, dark, and bad. But I mean, I, I say bad not as in a bad film, but like things are bad. Yeah. Uh, the kind of the grim dark work into this humor honestly of just okay now i'm gonna read the survival book i'm gonna put a coffee pot in my bedroom and somehow that's gonna keep me awake but there's all these like little touches that bring the film not slapstick but that final act of just okay i'm gonna pull him out out of my dreams and i'm gonna fight him and i'm like madam he has knives on his hands and is a literal demon from hell you're, you're just gonna fight him yeah she's gonna fight she's him. gonna fight him she's gonna fight him she's gonna fight him, she's gonna fight him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's oh man, it's so it it's so good because even though it is slapsticky, it is still very like tense yeah. as well. Well, because you you have the scene where Freddie takes his opportunity of dying to like murder her mother, mm-hmm. so there, it does kind of bring it down from that aspect of like here's some slapstick, but also I'm gonna set your mom's bed on fire, and you're like, whoa, wait, <laughs> there's a tonal shift here that I was not prepared for, and yeah, that's all in the movie, and it's so uniquely and distinctly craven 
in a way that like Wes Craven films just are. And like, I'm a big like Wes Craven fan and I, this movie, you can see a lot of the prototypes of some of the stuff he did later, like, especially like in scream Mm -hmm. and even some of the stuff after that were, where you can kind of be like, okay, I see, I see where you were coming from. I see where you were looking at horror films at the time and want to do something slightly different. Because this is, would you say that this is kind of whenever he started to treat his female characters a little bit differently than he had previously? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, this, this is a turning point in his films, for sure, for that. And he even, like, if you listen to interviews with him, he kind of realizes that, too, where he's like, I kind of wanted to do a movie about a girl that maybe won for one. You know, it, yeah. you can kind of tell in this film that he's tired of doing more of the exploitive. Well, like, you think about, like, Last House on the left. Yeah. Like, oof. Yeah. Oof. And, like and the hills have eyes. Like I, yeah. I think about both of those and there's a lot of like female trauma in that as opposed to this film where you have female agency and a character who has had these traumatic things happen to her, but is taking back her power mm-hmm. in a way that is not exploitive. Like so many of the seventies female exploitation films were. And I think that Langenkamp did a great job. I think she beat out, I, I want to say Courtney Cox and also Demi Moore really tried out for this role. I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh, okay. Which would have been a completely different movie. Yeah. Any, any changes in the roles would have made it a very different movie. And I think that Heather Langenkamp had this golly G aspect to her mm-hmm. that worked really well that either of the other two actresses have a little bit too much intensity for that, yeah. for this role. Not that that's a bad thing, but for this role. You, you believe her. You do. You believe her well, as a teenager. And if you look at the cast too, the cast is all very young yeah. at the moment. Like they were playing teenagers and they were like 20. So mm-hmm. that's okay. Yeah. So they looked young. They acted young. They felt like the decisions that they were making. It felt authentic. It felt authentic. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, this is decisions you would make in high school. So I think that film had that going in its favor. I think I had read that Johnny Depp was kind of very unsure about his performance. Like he had to be reassured quite a bit. It's like, you're doing a good job, buddy. And it's just so <laughs> odd to think about thinking about the man that he is now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From, from then till now. But this movie, as we stated before, it's pretty much critically loved. I think mm-hmm. it's still like, sets at like a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. That, that sounds right. Yeah. I, I haven't looked, but yeah, I, I trust you on that one. And, and that's the thing. This movie was not, necessarily commercially successful at the beginning right well i mean when you think about dollars now mm-hmm. no but it only opened in 165 theaters which you contrast that with like now movies open in like on what like most of the time like 3200 between 2000 and 3000 screened usually yeah. if it's a major release it made almost 1.3 million in its opening weekend which for the time it was an instant commercial well, success. yeah it made back its budget yeah it went on to gross 57 million worldwide oh okay yeah so yeah not too bad mm-hmm. And, and it was so successful, of course, that they wanted to come back and do the sequel. Which, immediately. Immediately. Yeah. Which was written by Craven, but not directed by Craven. And then that kind of launched, like, Robert England's career as horror horror guy. Like, you know, slasher icon, you would say. And as you said, there are eight films in this franchise, right? Yes. Um, and then the only other one that Craven was involved with was... 1994's A New Nightmare. New Nightmare, which mm-hmm. in its own right is a fantastic film. Yeah. Also super scary. Also super scary. Yeah. Which, and then the franchise kind of got abandoned for a while. Like I say abandoned, but like the character was on abandoned. The character you saw on everything. Like what he's on like The Simpsons. He's on like like any sort of media everywhere referenced Freddy. I mean, I think I'm trying to, I was trying to think most recent reference culturally in something that's not nightmare on Elm Street related. And I was thinking that um, Rick and Morty, uh, scary Terry. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Definitely. Obviously is a, is a Freddy stand in mm-hmm. and I kind of really like, and I love the way they play it on it, that everything he says ends in bitch. Bitch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For the one time that, <laughs> yeah. But again, like you, you, you see him everywhere, mm-hmm. which is why it was weird that it took 16 years for them to come in to do a sequel. So then that brings us to 2010 mm-hmm. and the reboot slash remake. Yeah. No need to read an IMDb description for this one because it's the same movie. It's the same movie. It's exactly for the, the same most movie. part is the same movie, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting because Platinum Dunes who had that is um, for those that don't know, that is uh, Michael Bay's production company. They had also, previous to doing the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, they had done a reboot of Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. And that one 
took a lot of the elements that worked from the original, but they did kind of retool it into a new story. But then they come along with this remake and kind of, in some places, shot for shot like the original. Yeah, I feel like this one was Platinum Dunes kind of, it was their attempt to make a class, like a a universe of classic slashers almost, Mm -hmm. where you'd introduce these old characters again and kind of reboot them all. And then, of course, that didn't happen. But yeah, because this film is such a, it's beat by beat, shot for shot. I Because I looked at, I was watching, I watched these two kind of back to back. I watched one one night and then I rewatched the remake the day after. And I was just struck by like, these are almost identical. Like you have taken the same moments and just repackaged them with like, a, with a different camera, a slightly different camera angle. Yeah, because you've got you've got the face coming out of the wall. Mm-hmm. You've got the bathtub mm-hmm. scene. You've got the they try to recreate the spinning room, and yeah, this is a, this is an example of when you take something that was a practical effect and make it CG, it loses its effectiveness. Yeah, you have the body bag drag. You have the um, even the the geyser of blood, but from the opposite direction, right. kind of a little different there. So they do all these elements, but they kind of, they shake them up just enough and reorder them. So they happen to different characters, I think in a lot of ways that they were like, oh, this is new and different. And we're like, it's really not. But this film was also kind of weird because it like, it was a planned trilogy. So this was going to be number one in a trilogy. And of course, as you know, it did so poorly that they there's, abandoned there's it again. There's been no more yeah. after that. They put a lot into this. Mm-hmm. You can tell, if for nothing else, look at the cast. Yeah. It is just packed full of young stars from 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 the now like when, mid-aughts. when you say young, <laughs> the youngest person, Young-ish. the youngest person in this movie when it was filmed was like twenty eight. Yeah. So because I looked at the I looked at the cast and I was like I recognize all these people, but how old were they then? And most of them were in their late twenties when they were doing this, or thirties, like a. Uh, Rooney Mara. Rooney Mara. Rooney yeah. Mara was thirty when she was doing this. But yeah, so you, Katie, mean, Katie, Katie Cassidy. That's the thing. Like buying some of these people as high schoolers was no. very hard. Um, from a from the get go, I was like, I don't believe that any of these people are in high school. Yeah. Like I don't understand why you chose to put it in a high school if you're going to catch with this cast. Mm-hmm. It was a weird decision because I think this is a film that could have done just as easily in college. They could, if they wanted this cast, they could just age them up. They could have aged it up. It would have worked. Yeah. I mean, exact same. But they wanted to have that high school era effect to it, which kind of fell apart, I think, in in that respect. But I mean, there are some good things about this film when you look at it, because I would talk about the story, but it's almost the same story. There's a higher kill count because they bring in more characters. They do introduce some more secondary characters. It's kind of darker in tone, and the lighting is a lot darker too. Visually, I think Mm -hmm. it's it's great. Like, I mean, as far as the atmosphere of it, Mm -hmm. I think is really great. It is, it is a genuinely scary movie. I feel. I I don't know that I feel. I I don't know if I would agree with that. But I don't know that if you had filed this, filed the serial numbers off, as it were, mm-hmm. and like put this out here as like an original slasher, I feel like it probably would have done a lot better. That exactly. If the if this had not been Freddy Krueger, mm-hmm. or if A Nightmare on Elm Street had not originally existed, I do think that this film would have done better. And and why do you feel that way? I think it's just because Freddy is such a, like a revered character mm-hmm. that to try to remake it and it just be again almost a shot for shot remake, it just draws attention more. To yeah. the fact that how tonally different it is. Yeah. And so let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about <laughs> the tone. I think I think it's time. I think it's time. So in the original, Freddy Krueger is a child murderer. And right. they are very specific to say child murderer. And anytime he is referenced within the film franchise, a child, child killer. Child yeah. killer. Mm-hmm. They go from the start on this one that they go right into making Freddy Krueger a child molester. Yeah. There's no, like even in the original one, like they say child murder and there's kind of some implications that it may be something Mm -hmm. more. And of course, Craven wanted it to be that in the original, originally, originally. And then he changed his mind because he thought it might feel exploitive, which it does, which it does. (laughs) And, but this one, they just lean into it Mm -hmm. real, real heavily. And I think that is a detriment to it. 
yeah, they, they lean into this aspect of this kind of like this sexual trauma and sexual assault angle, which is really weird for the single fact that like no character in this movie has any memory of Freddy Krueger before he reappears. Right. So you are introducing, unlike the original where the teen characters had no interaction with Freddy Krueger before he comes back to haunt them because of what their parents did because their, their parents murdered him. And in some way that revenge killing makes more sense than this revenge killing for them being directly connected to it. I don't know how, but it does. So I remember reading and this uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that there was some sort of implication in, in maybe an original plot or something like that, that, that one of the parents who had taken part of it had had taken part of the original and the original film had taken part of it because one of their children had been murdered by him because in the original version he gets off he goes to trial and gets off on a technicality right so he was guilty but it was a, a an example of kind of justice gone wrong or like not justice the justice system gone wrong so that the people of the town the community took it in their own hands to be like you did this there's evidence we know you did this it's technicality and since we're not privy to that trial or anything like we're we're taking this as fact that this is a thing that happened in the remake they spend a long time trying to leave some doubt about did he or didn't he do it. And that like, it's, it's weird because first of all, the parents killed him not because he murdered anybody. So he didn't actually kill any of the children. They didn't inform, inform any of the authorities. It was not it's something that was ignored or anything like that. They just were like, let's kill him. Yeah. And then went and killed him. And we are forced to watch that. He forces the people that are remaining living at that time to relive yes. what he, what he went through, what he went through. So, so th- this is a thing that happens in in the film where we are we watch him be killed. But the weird thing about this is that somehow the teenage the quote unquote teenagers who all went to preschool together but have no memory of their preschool existence together, all of them, all of them have forgotten this, which is the biggest hardest thing for me to swallow out of all of it. Not only that, but it has somehow been scrubbed yes. from. Like, I mean, this came out in 2010, so mm-hmm. we were definitely in, like, the internet age. Yeah. And they're not able to find anything. Like, there's no way you would be able to scrub that from, like, public knowledge. No, but they, they've scrubbed him. They've scrubbed their histories. And we're not even talking about the main character kids, but there's, like, kids on the internet, like, that, you know, that, that they know that other guy that, that, that dies on video chat. Right. And you're just like, wait a second. Like, who is that? Do I care about this character? I don't even remember it. <laughs> okay. You bring up another good thing mm-hmm. there. Like, do I care about this character? I think that's the other thing that makes this kind of hard to really like give yourself over to in this movie mm-hmm. as far as like the stakes that are involved in it is, yeah, terrible things happen to these kids. It's awful. I yeah. can't believe that they lean into it the way that they do. But truthfully, there are no empathetic characters in this movie at all. You don't spend enough time with the characters to really mm-hmm. care about them before this starts to happen. The opening scene in the film is like Kellen Lutz like slitting his own throat. Yeah. So you're like, here you've got this this character who I at this time he was already in Twilight, right? He'd been Twilight Star. You know kids, you know I say kids, you know <laughs> that teenage girls are going to go see this movie because he's in it. Because Twilight and he was a big he was one of the bigger draws and not one of the biggest draws, but people really liked him. Yeah. People liked oh, Emmett. Yeah, people liked Emmett. So they're like, okay, we'll go see this movie because he's in it and maybe he's gonna be like the 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 male kind of lead. No, just kidding. He's dead in the first like five minutes. And it's like, this feels like a bait and switch. Yeah. For no, I do appreciate that first kill. I like that it was just right off the right bat. Right off the bat. Happened. Here we yeah. go. Yeah. And it was a really well done. I think that scene was well done in general, but you've got already like, let's just murder somebody. Mm-hmm. We don't know anything about him really other than his girlfriend loves him. And then he's dead. So then you have your weird love triangles that happen or happening between the characters. And then you have like Kyle Garner in it, like a Galner. And I like him as an actor. I don't have any problem with him. But uh, this movie, this role, it was just really weird. I didn't care about, again, don't care about the character. You just come across as kind of like whiny. Why doesn't this girl pay more attention to me? Pay attention to me. And then the fact that they immediately go from we just found out that our parents killed the guy to clearly he must be innocent. And I'm like, wait, where did, where did you get this yeah. leap from? So the movie introduces this element of like, maybe he didn't do it. And the actual kids believe that he didn't do it because their minds have somehow magically been scrubbed of all of this terrible stuff. 
And and they that's how they logic the reason why he's coming back to kill them is because he was wrongfully. Yeah. yeah. Which on a practical, like real world implication thing is this whole weird idea of like repressed memories that was so popular during the, the satanic panic yeah. and things like that, which we found out to sort of be like, that's not how memory works. Mm-mm. That's not how things work. Nope. Element that like was, I found frustrating while watching the film. And then of course it turns out that he is guilty and he did these terrible things. And, but that's evident. I, I feel like that is evident throughout the entire film that in the way that he interacts with these kids, because the original Freddie liked to mess with you, but not like this. Yeah, it is everything that he says. That, that's the other thing is you kind of, I love, I think Jackie Earl Haley did. If this had not been Freddie, I think he would have been great. He is a great actor. He's, He's he, a great yes. actor. The redesign of Freddie is terrifying in this mm-hmm. one. Just the way that he looks, it looks much more monstrous and burn victim and everything Mm -hmm. but everything he says and does to these kids is so incredibly loaded yes in a way that is uncomfortable it is it is meant to be uncomfortable and i don't think that the filmmakers were doing it as like a titillating way Mm -hmm. it is meant to be uncomfortable it very much 100 percent is and so you there's no doubt you have yeah you have never have any doubt that like he is very evil so why throw this kind of red herring plot point in there i don't understand especially since like jackie o'haley is he's really good at this Mm -hmm. like he is as you said phenomenal actor does a great job in this one and he has a great physicality to him. Like we talked about Robert England's physicality going one way. His goes in the complete opposite direction for not being an incredibly large guy. He manages to take up a lot of space. Yes. Yes. And he is very powerful in doing so. And he is very menacing. And I, I enjoyed that about his performance it was a really great performance, but every interaction he has with these kids is like, so, and I say kids, but there's meant to be teenagers <laughs> is so weirdly sexual and mm-hmm. uncomfortable way that pulls away from everything people like about Freddy Krueger. Yeah. He, he, he's not <laughs> likable at all in this. And if you are building a franchise around a character in a green and red raggedy striped sweater who quippy one-liners are what he's known for. And who is going to be based on the kill count in this movie mm-hmm. is going to be your only returning character. Yeah. He has to be likable. He has to be likable. Yeah. And they made him so undeniably unlikable, which was effective when you're telling a story like this, but ruins your chances for telling another story with a building a killer into something bigger. Yeah. And, and like the, the closest thing I can think of and is, uh, I don't know if you've seen the Wolf Creek movies. I'm aware of that. Okay. Yeah. They also have a really like the main character for that is like the, the only surviving character for like, and is, uh, I don't remember the character's name, but he's a lot of the kind of like a serial murderer. He's a, he's a rapist. He's like a really terrible character, but he's also like not likable, but like quippy and like in a different way where he's gotten this character. People were like, Oh man, he's like so messed up that he's gotten two movies in a mini series, like a TV show. Right. Now. But coming from that to like this, you're just like, oh, this is no thank you. I think everyone kind of walked out of this movie being like, I don't want any more of this. Yeah. If Again, if this had been not Freddy Krueger yeah. and it had been a standalone, mm-hmm. I think it would have been much more effective. And I probably would feel differently than I do about it. Yeah. 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 But you don't want to see multiple movies Mm-mm. with the child molester. Point no, blank. You but just, just, you yeah. don't. Yeah. You don't want to see that. You you don't want to see him win in the end either. You don't want to see him come out on top of anything. You don't want to see him be inappropriate with the teenage teenagers. And, and especially like with, with Nancy in particular, because like original, like in the original film, because I was comparing them when I was like coming back to think about it. Like Freddie does do the, like I'm your boyfriend now, like with the phone thing, but it's played more for like, I'm going to disgust you. It's gr- it's gross out humor. It's a gross out humor. Yeah. It's not. I I'm gonna like. There's a difference between a tongue coming out of the receiver on a phone and somebody like caressing your face with a bladed with hand. the bladed hand. Yeah. yeah, it's a very different scenario and a very different Freddie. And I think that Freddie doesn't work as Freddie. It works as a very creepy serial killer, 100. Mm-hmm. percent Which is why I bring up the Wolf Creek thing is that people have done 
that kind of villain before and made it work and made it work um, for better or worse, whether you like those films, they're successful. Like I'm, I'm, I don't know how I feel about them. So, uh, but they are successful and people like them and come back to watch them as opposed to this one where people were like, this doesn't feel like Freddie. Yeah. Strangely enough though. I mean, it's pretty much negative reviews and mm-hmm. not, and not a whole, a lot of people like it. It grossed over $63 million domestic and 117 million worldwide. It's the highest gro- grossing film in the franchise. The remake is right. It'd been 16 years since yeah. I've seen, well, not 16 years because there was, there was the, the Freddy versus Jason. Right. But yeah, people were starved for content about Freddy Krueger. People, the, the audience was primed. That's why it made so much money. Yeah. It's, but, but then even, I mean, new nightmare mm-hmm. does take it back to kind of a scarier place than, you know, a lot of the rest of the franchise. Mm-hmm. But then like when you come back into Freddy versus Jason, that's just pure camp. Oh sure. Yeah. yeah. Camp. People wanted a horror movie with Freddy Krueger and what they got was a horror movie that should not have been about, should not have been Freddy Krueger. That didn't feel Mm -hmm. like a Freddy Krueger film. And I think that's like what we can talk about whether the movie is good or not, but you can't divorce it from the fact that the, the main, the star of the film is entirely not what you wanted or expected going into it. And that's a hard pill to swallow because it's that everyone disliked that. (laughs) And, I, I don't know anybody who likes the film and you don't even like the film and you like love Freddy, you know, you love Freddy Krueger, you love Nightmare on Elm Street, the franchise. There are things I like about this film, sure. but I do not like the film. Yeah. 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 It's wrong to call this character Freddy in the mm-hmm. way that they do. And then you're even, your main character is Nancy again. And the thing we loved about the original is how much agency Nancy has and how she, yeah makes a conscious decision to fight back and to take out Freddy Krueger and Rooney Mara. It, that doesn't happen. It's not there. Yeah. And I, I don't think the the actress is at fault for this. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think this all. is her fault. I just think that the, the script didn't give her enough to do. Right. And what it did get her to do was kind of like tremble under Freddy's glove. Yeah. Like literally a lot of times she spends like being afraid as he's caressing her with her glove and it's terrible. But yeah, no one had anything really to do in this except for Freddie and he does it well, but it's not something anyone wanted to see. Right. And that, that sucks. Like in all, all accounts, like that just really, really sucks that this was this, when this came out, this was just so not expectations and, and yeah. Cause I don't think it was really billed as a different Freddie either. I, when I remember, I don't remember when this came out, if we were like, this is a brand new thing. We're going to go darker and edgier. This was not in the, any of the marketing i think like we had been told like you know we'd seen some of the redesign of freddie mm-hmm. and we're like oh this is going to be scarier but then you think about jackie earl haley and like just kind of his range as an actor and mm-hmm. kind of what he had done because I, I i think most people came into this really knowing him as rorschach yeah from, the from, Watchmen, from Watchmen, and thinking oh it'll be interesting to see what this guy can do and he yeah. does it well but yeah. It's not anything anybody wanted to see. <laughs> it's it's not. In a lot of ways, this feels like a music video mm-hmm. because it's a rehashing of all of the the scenes you loved most from the original. With, super sleek, super stylish. Yeah, but without the context, yeah. much like a music video mm-hmm. where you see a, a bunch of images flash across the screen, but the context is missing, so you have to put it together yourself. So again, we're not here to pass judgment or say that one is better than the other, but... I think in this case, obviously the original is better. <laughs> yeah. In, in this case, it does feel like our overall thoughts are that there's a lot, you can pick apart some good things in here, mm-hmm. but yeah, the original is such a classic that I think remaking it is going to be difficult if they decide to go forward with whatever they're working on. Cause I, I saw some articles again in, I think October of 2021 where they were talking about this, but you can't do the same thing. I think instead mm-hmm. of going to a much darker place, in the world that we live in now and how much of a garbage fire everything mm-hmm. is, I think if you're going to remake a nightmare on Elm street and you know, want to be reverent to the original, I feel like you have to lean in harder on the slapstick and the wackadoo of it. Like Freddie has to be funny. I think he has to be funny, but I don't know that it should be slapstick funny. Well, I think that not slapstick. Yeah. I think that was the wrong word on my part. <laughs> I think I think today, if you're going to do something like this, since you can go into the dream world, 
You saw that in a lot of the later movies, how he went real heavy in the slapstick and it Mm -hmm. wasn't as good. Right, right. You have to have that like darker elements because again, he is a a child murderer in his original concept. So like you have to have that like darker elements to him, which is why England worked so well with it because he pulled this kind of darkness out of these funny things that he was saying and it was they were only really funny because they were so out of context and out of place which is I think why that works when you take away that all you have is another like knife wielding maniac yeah it's got to have that balance it's got to have that balance so I think you're right that you do need humor but you have to have some menace more you have to pull it back to more of the menace and but then also just give you got to have a good script to work with that above all else <laughs> yeah and before i will go i read a thing from the writers of the script that they even said that when the final product came out they were like this isn't our story this is a, supposedly this apocryphal story happened on set where uh they were like yeah we we were in the beginning of the movie we didn't think we had enough dialogue so we just pulled it from age like page 87 and put it in here in the remake yeah that's what I read. I read one of the one of the writers was talking about how the that's what they said about the the, the crew, what the crew had done, like when they were on set, that they wow. had like pulled it, which could explain why it felt kind of disjointed, disjointed and yeah. how the characters didn't feel authentic mm-hmm. because we don't know how much the script. And who knows? Who knows if that's true? Like I I don't know the the writers of the remake, and you know, but it could explain a lot of things if that were to happen. Also. What a waste of Connie Britton and Clancy Brown. It's true. It's really, really true. They don't do anything. No. They're just there. And specifically with Connie Britton, I'm like, you are much too present a mother to not know any of this that's going on. Yeah, yeah. And again, the whole like, oh, how could you, how could you believe us? We were children. And I just want to be like, you can't, what what do you mean? How did they believe you? There was physical evidence. Like, it was right there. Like, uh, it. There's so much in that that just doesn't, I, it doesn't work. But again, in this case, I think we both agree that the original is better. Yes. And that I, I look forward to them doing another tip pass at it if they decide oh, to. Oh, most certainly. I will obviously watch it. <laughs> and as always, we would love to hear your thoughts. What infuriated you about the remake? What did you love about the original? Or vice versa, if that happens to be the case. We know that's not going to be the case. So please share with us how annoyed you were with certain parts of this film. And as always, if you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, if you could give us a rate and review, even if it's just a string of emojis, that would be perfect. It's true. Podcasts get made because people review them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, I am... Again, very glad that you did not die in a Kroger parking lot tonight. Uh, 100%. I'm thrilled to still be alive. But ask me again how I feel when Black Friday comes along. Oh, yeah, the Battle of Black Friday. Mm -hmm. And by the Battle of Black Friday, I mean probably both of us just being in our respective bed in our pajamas all day. Oh, it will be the um, Battle of Turkey Coma aftermath. So, yeah. Gobble, gobble. No, no gobbles. (laughs) Culture Cryptids is recorded, produced, and engineered by me, JD. And me, Corey. You can find us on social media at Culture Cryptids on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Questions, comments, corrections, hate mail? Email us at culturecryptids at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.